This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 24. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, founder of BiggerPockets.com and your host of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, Brandon? You know, every time you introduce me, I always think of a home improvement. You remember uh, Tim, the Toolman ta- Taylor? I do. Yeah, and he always in- anyway. I- I'm Al Borland, I guess. You're Al, and I'm I'm Tim. Yep, you're Tim. So you're calling me a tool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that was exactly my point. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. I'm clever like that. <laughs> yes, yes, sure. Well, what, what what's up, man? We got it. We got a good show. We've got uh, some cool stuff coming on Bigger Pockets. We've got this. Uh, Flipping calculator that yeah. should be out at or around the time of this uh, show. If it's not out, we'll we'll soon be announcing it. Um, and uh, everything is is going great on the site. Why don't we just jump right in today? Because we got a great show ahead. Why don't we uh, do our quick tip? Nice. I'm taking this one today. <laughs> Good ending. <laughs> All right. Are today, you going to take the quick tip? I am going to take the quick tip today. Because right. this is this is something I actually do all the time. So today's quick tip is a staging tip. And uh, I know a lot of people want to stage and they pay a lot of money for staging companies, which is cool. But my tip is if you're interested in staging on the cheap, uh, head over to like a Marshalls or a Ross or like a TJ Maxx. And you can get curtains there for usually like, you know, three or four dollars. And you can get pictures to hang on the wall for like, I mean, just really dirt cheap knickknacks, everything. You can stage a whole house for like a hundred bucks using a store like, uh, you know, one of those discount stores. So anyway, that's my quick tip. That's a good quick tip. Now, do do make sure you change the pictures in the frames, though. <laughs> no, we want the the you know the young family holding the little kid with the a barcode going across their face. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. Looks stylish. Nothing, Looks like nothing sells a house in- like a barcode. Yes, nothing sells a house like a barcode. There you go. Well, that is today's quick tip. Fabulous. Excellent, excellent. Well, really quick before we go into things, I just want to thank everybody. We are now up to 292 five-star reviews for the show on iTunes, and we've got 189 written reviews. So uh, 292 five-star ratings, I'm sorry, and 189 written reviews. Uh, That's fantastic. We're really excited about it. Uh, We really appreciate you guys for taking the time to do that. Uh, but of course, we are now at 10,500 listens per show or so, which is amazing, meaning that a lot of you guys haven't gone in and uh, reviewed or anything. If you can, please do. It really helps us out. Uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, that's pretty much it. That said, let's get into the show. Uh, on today's episode, we've got uh, Mike LaCava. Uh, Mike is actually a house flipper in southern Massachusetts. Who uh, he's tearing it up in the flipping world. He's an active blogger on the Bigger Pockets blog. Uh, shares loads of uh, great information on our site, and uh, he's uh, you know he's out there. He does some coaching, and 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 he's he's a full time investor. Uh, he's got some fantastic tips to come, I believe. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com BP. Connectinvest.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of RentReady for $1, which is crazy. With that said, Mike... Welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Hey, thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, hey, Mike. Hey, Brandon. How you doing? I am well. How about yourself? Very good. Couldn't be better. He's oh. always well. No, I'm well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, let's move on and talk about you instead of beating up one another here. So, uh, Mike, house flipping Mike here. Let's, let's do it. How, uh, what, what, not even how, what, what did you do? You, you're, you're the house flipping guy now, but like you had something going on before that, right? How'd you get started? What'd you do before uh, flipping houses? Yeah, I sure did. Um, I was in the flooring business, uh, basically my entire life. Uh, grew up in it as a young child, helped my dad during the summers and, um, basically, um, did that up until about five years ago when I really started getting into the uh, real estate business. Right on. Um, yeah, so basically with the flooring business, it's always good, did well in it, just uh, kind of lost my passion for it, and tried to reinvent it a couple different times and just knew my calling was real estate and, uh, and now I'm doing that real estate thing full time. Was, was there anybody that kind of inspired you to get involved or was it just as a result of you working in, in the flooring space? Yeah, no, I, I early on in my, in when I basically just out of high school, I actually, uh, 18, 19 years old, a friend of mine was going to one of those uh, weekend uh, real estate seminars on, in Florida. Um, and he was able to take a free guest. Nice. Uh, you guys know how that works. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was, hey, it was just a weekend trip. Go check it out. And it actually caught my interest. And uh, I don't think I was even 20. I might have been 19 when we did our first door knocking on a uh, house that was going to go up for auction. And, and I can still see it to this day. The guy, you know, screaming at us, telling us to get out. Uh, <laughs> May have threatened us, and I'm like, all right, this, I don't know if this real estate thing is doing knocking thing is, is is any good. So that sort of, sort of got in my mind, and you know, really, literally over the next 20 years, I, I just my interest for real estate was always there. But you know, uh, I had a business, and I got married, and I had kids, and um, I just never took action, quite honestly. But it was always like, you know, someday I'm going to do this, and, and that's kind of. And then seeing, you know, seeing the TV shows and things like that and watching the, the old houses get uh, rehabbed I sort of inspired me and I knew that's something I always wanted to do. So, so what got you to finally take that step and, and actually jump in and, and start doing it? Um, I think I had a sort of reality check with my life and um, just talking about something doesn't get it done, as you guys probably know. So back in 2006, I was mentioning it uh, to a friend of mine, um, like, man, look at all these people buying these houses and don't even really know much about it, flipping them, making tons of money. I would, I, I always say I want to do that, and, and I just haven't done it. And he actually, I was a little surprised. He had told me he flipped a few houses and had a few rentals. Basically said, hey, if I find something, do you want to you partner up? And I didn't know anything. I was a floor guy. I didn't know anything about real estate, but I said yes. And uh, lo and behold, a few weeks later, he got a deal, and uh, we partnered up on our first deal back in 2006. Now, back then, did you do all your own, did you do your own work since you were coming from the kind of construction side of things? 
Um, I we did pretty much eighty percent of the work as much as we could do that uh, would allow us, uh, other than permitting stuff like plumbing and electrical and things like that. So we were hands on on that very first project, absolutely. So l- let me ask you because you know one of, one of the big things that we owe every every new investor on Bigger Pockets starts out with is hey. I want a mentor. I want a mentor. Yay. What do I do? Well, you know, you've got this good friend of yours who's doing it. You link up with him. How did that work out? Tell us about the relationship and about how, you know, financially and partner wise, you guys actually worked out the details between you. Sure. Sure. What I can tell you was by partnering with him, even though I knew nothing about the business, uh, somewhat gave me that, um, I guess I didn't quite know it at the time, but it gave me on a subconscious level, like, uh, kind of took the fear out of it or took the unknown out of it, knowing that someone else had already done it and I was just going to partner up with him. Um, and I think that was really the real reason why I jumped in. Now, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know anything about the business. I sort of trusted him and, and his uh, background and what he knew. It doesn't necessarily mean that it, it was it was all right. Um, and I can explain to you in a minute on that because when we did this, um, back then I didn't understand the mortgage industry. I didn't understand the real estate industry. I didn't understand buyer's markets, seller's markets. All I know is, um, you know, we had this flip. We were loving it. We, we would be doing the hands-on uh, renovations. And back then, as you know, anybody could borrow money from the banks. Yep. Um, he had a relationship with the mortgage guy. And really, real quick, uh, the plan was to, he explained it to me, but I wasn't really listening. <laughs> uh, you know, borrow the money, 100% financing. Uh, once we're about halfway through, we could refi out and pull our profits. And then once we were finished, we could uh, sell the house and make the additional profits. Um, well, we happened to get in at the height of the market. And uh, I think what Warren Buffett says, when everybody gets in, it was time to get out. Yep. So in 2006, uh, all of a sudden, we, we couldn't refi because that was when the subprime mortgage started to crash. And I didn't know what that meant when he said we can't refi. I got a little scared. <laughs> so I said, all right, we got to finish quickly and sell quickly. Um, bottom line was when we sold it, which we did sell it, but we actually lost money on that first deal. Right on. In in terms of um, the, what, what, even though you're, you know, clearly he he didn't know everything himself at at this time. What um, what gave him the confidence to bring you on as as somebody to to work with uh, beyond just your your friendship? Um, yeah, I think I think knowing that I had some, um, I think just the, the the labor part of it, being able to do the work with them, being that I owned my own flooring business, I was flexible with my hours. I had a, I had a well-run flooring business at the time, so I had the flexibility of uh, running the uh, some of the contractors and helping out with that aspect of it, where he kind of handled the the money end of it um, and assisted in setting up the LLC and things like that. And, and we had a good trust level there. We both put in, um, it wasn't with zero dollars, even though we had hundred percent financing, we both put up, I believe it was around $10,000 each into a bank account to have as like a reserve and have some money to have to use, uh, which we ended up having to use because we didn't, we weren't able to refi out quickly. Like I, like I mentioned. Right on. And was that like a 50, 50 thing? Yes, it was 50, 50. We, uh, we split Profits, but there was no profit, so we split the loss. Right on. I've been there. I know how that goes. Hey, you know, you said something about when you got in this, you didn't realize, and either did he, really what the whole buyers versus sellers market was. And I think, I mean, most of us got caught up with that exact same thing, right? You know, like uh, nobody really knew that the market was going to crash. I think there were probably some smart people around that knew it, but you know, I don't know. Those of us who watched the flipping shows, we just got into it because it was cool. So here, yep. here's my question for you is, what do you see today with the market today? Do you see us repeating that right now? Um, you, you, that's a great on? question. I wish I could look into the crystal ball. But what <laughs> I can tell you is, um, you know, there's some speculation that we might go down that road again, uh, specifically with uh, some of the uh, hedge fund deals and the way they're buying up all these bulk REOs. You know, I've been reading some things like, like that's going to be the next crash. Uh, my personal feelings are that, I don't see these hedge funds managing thousands of single-family houses very effectively and competitively. My my feelings are that I believe uh, on the buy and hold strategy for single-family rentals, it's always been a local business and and is driven by the local uh, landlords or owners uh, to really get the best return on your investment. Um, I I don't know if I'm going to be right or if I'm going to be wrong, but I can tell you I'll be there to clean up the mess if it does crash and try to profit from it down the road. Yeah. There you go. I just read an article. Yes. Well, it was an article and a video, I think from Fox news or one of those, uh, 
um, news channels. Anyway, it was about how their hedge funds already are starting to pull out in a few areas. So I'm not sure if that's like beginning to happen or if that's just like, you know. Uh, I think but. like like any any business, Brandon, is that uh, there's probably going to be some good hedge funds and there's probably going to be some bad hedge funds. Just like there's good investors and there's bad investors. And maybe some of the uh, smarter, more savvy hedge funds that understand this business can really make it work. Um, and then you'll see the ones that just are pulling all this money in and throwing money. At, I mean, they're overpaying for properties now. It's, it's up to see. Um, and, and you know, I don't see it being sustained. And that's, you know, where people that save their money for retirement and put money in their IRA and 401k and, and invest in some of these things, you know, are going to get burnt in the end. Well, what do you, what are you guys as a flipping company doing to uh, prevent if something were to happen, if the market were to drop again, what do you, what are you doing to prevent against that? Yep. Um, you know, with every deal we go into, we like to have exit strategies um, and we like to um, understand what happens if we don't sell it at this price, what happens if we don't sell it? So, and that's been really what I've used since day one um, is that, you know, after getting, I guess, losing money in my first deal and, and learning the hard way, you know, taught me a lot of things. And that's to prepare and, and have different ways to get out of deals if they don't work. So with everything we buy, um, we're always running a, a very conservative on our ARVs and uh, run them as current as we can. Uh, we try not to predict too much what's going to happen in the future, but although if the market's going up or market's going down, may affect the way you buy. Um, so exit strategies would be like, what's my drop bottom price before I want to go to the next exit strategy? Meaning like, what do I have to sell this for just to break even and move on? And then, and then the next one would be, what if I can't sell it? Then let's consider doing a lease option. And then from there, maybe a pure straight out rental. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You know, the uh, r- really quickly, ARV is... Yeah, after repair value, Josh. That's basically what a house will sell for after you repair it. And the best way to determine that is talk to your special real estate, a uh, good real estate broker in your area, and explain to them what you're going to do to the house so they can have a good understanding of what actually they can sell it for. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. And on the exit strategies, that's great. You know, it, that's something I think that most uh, new investors really screw up. You know, they come in thinking, hey, I'm going to do this, but they don't think of the, but what if? Right. And, exactly. and you have to plan for that. But what if, you know, that's something that we, we definitely, we made sure we highlighted in our ultimate beginner's guide. Um, and we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes at, uh, biggerpockets.com slash show 24. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, I mean, when you're going in there, you, you need to know, Hey, I've got option A, B, C, D all the way down. Uh, b- because otherwise, you know, if one thing goes wrong, you're, you're in deep trouble. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could we talk a little bit about, uh, the, the properties, uh, the property types that you're flipping? Are you, are you doing a uh, single family multis? What's, uh, what's the focus? Yeah. Primarily the, the flips, uh, are single family, uh, mostly, uh, that sort of affordable first time home buyer market seems to be working well for us. Price ranges, uh, from 175 to 350 has been our average and, and, 350, not necessarily that that's a high-end home, but that could just be in a different market, different town, where that could be more of a starter home or more affordable-type home in those markets. That's sort of the, the cream of, of, of what we're doing, and it's worked well for us. So we, we're staying with it, but we're starting to explore some higher-end homes. We almost put together a, a $2.5 million deal, uh, but it fell apart, but I learned a, an incredible amount about that, and we're not afraid to go after some of the bigger deals, and I do see us going after some of those down the road. Um, I, I want to talk more about the... Uh the, your bread and butter stuff, but since you brought it up, can can we dig in a little bit on that uh, on that that two and a half million dollar deal that fell apart? Do, sure, absolutely. Do you mind sharing uh, some details? Not, not not at all. It was actually in Nantucket, and the lead was brought to me. Uh, networking uh, really does a lot for you. Uh, in the beginning, you have no deal flow, and as you continue to network and get yourself out there, you you have a pile of stuff that comes your way. So you know, basically, I you know I I didn't say no to it. I jumped at the opportunity and. Um, I, you know, I, I sometimes can react well when something's thrown my way. So like, I didn't plan on going after a two and a half million dollar house, but really what it comes down to is just, uh, you know, adding a few zeros to it. And, 
Um, so I got the lead. I went out to Nantucket, studied the market, hooked up with some good real estate people out there, got my uh, brought my contractor down there, you know, um, and basically the deal, we raised the money for it. The deal just fell apart because there was a lawsuit against the seller for some environmental uh, wetlands, and, and in the end, they, were, they, were, they weren't wetlands. He was right, but we couldn't hang on any longer to, to our investors' money, and, um, and I gave my investors the opportunity to pull out, go somewhere else, or hang on, and they decided to pull out, so we moved on from that project. You know, and I think that's a great lesson for, for people, you know, no matter how prepared you are, clearly you guys know what you're doing. You've been doing this for a minute now. Um, you know, there are, there are certainly still outside extraneous forces that, that can come in and, you know, put a stop to things and, and could, could ruin your timelines, your budgets and all sorts of stuff, no matter how well planned you are. Absolutely. And, um, you just can't control every aspect of this business. And that's a hard reality for me because as much as, you know, we're efficient and we want our deals to close quickly. Um, you can't control the attorneys in the deals. You can't control neighbors. You can't control a lot of things. So good point. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's go back real quick um, before we move on. There's a few things actually you've been saying that just popped in my head that I really want to talk to you about. But let's go back to uh, the bread and butter stuff like Josh said. Sure. Um, you, you said you're going for single family homes mostly, 175 to 350 Now, is that what you're selling them for or is that what you're buying them for? No, that's what, that's the sell price. They have to repair value what we're selling them for. Okay, and what do you, what do you typically like buy them for? Like if, um, if like yeah, for example, if it's one hundred and seventy. Well, let me give you an example. Like if if we had a two hundred thousand um, dollar house that we sold, uh, typically we're applying our seventy percent formula to that, which is seventy percent times two is one forty. Then we're deducting our cost of repairs. So if in this case, say it was you know fifty thousand, then we'd be looking at a maximum allowed offer of ninety. So we'll pay up to ninety, sometimes more, sometimes less. It really depends on how negotiations go. Okay. Yeah. Let's actually dive into that a little bit deeper. The the seventy yeah. percent rule because you brought it up, and uh, I know this is a really really popular thing on uh, bigger mm-hmm. pockets, and for a good reason because it it's great. So uh, yeah, why don't you just explain again uh, what exactly is the seventy percent rule? Well, seventy percent is just a it's a quick uh, analysis to determine whether or not you can take a, uh, a deal to the next level, and it's it's there's a lot more details that go into number crunching. Um, but basically, it's really a simple formula. I, it's like fifth grade math. I think we wrote a blog post on that called it fifth grade math. But, yep, yep. Um, basically, and we'll link to have, that, by the way, in the notes. <laughs> okay, yep. cool. Um, so basically, it's just really – there's two very important things, that what I consider the most important things when, when considering you know, how you're going to make money on a deal. And quite honestly, you really need to make the money on the deal on the front end. It's understanding the numbers before you get into it. So with the 70% rule – is the first most important thing you need to understand and, and, and determine is the what you can sell that house for, also known as the AIV, the after repair value. If you get that number wrong, you're going, you're pedaling backwards from, from the start. So it's very important that if you can't determine that on your own, which I don't suggest you do unless you're a licensed real estate broker, and I would still recommend you talk to other real estate agents in the area, we always try to seek out the experts in any particular town, especially if it's a new town that we're not familiar with, to run comps, and then you have to test those comps yourself and, and really analyze them and understand them. So once you determine that, um, then from there, you're simply taking that that dollar amount and times it by 70%, and that's going to give you your starting point. So like in the example I just mentioned, if it's $200,000 is the ARV, then you, you are looking at buying that house for $140,000. Now, in the real world, we're not going to buy a house that's in perfect condition for $140,000. That's worth $200,000. That's why in this business, you want to focus on distressed properties, maybe the properties that no one else really wants. Because from there, then you're going to deduct your repairs. So if this house took $40,000 in repairs, then you're looking at buying this house at $100,000. Now, to, re- to work that backwards, because I get people that just don't quite understand that 30% and how we use it. So how are we determining what our profit is going to be based on that that difference of the uh, 70% from the 100%? Well, of that 30%, a, a rough gauge is uh, 20% of that is going to be what our projected profit is going to be. So if it's $200,000, we're saying 20% of $200,000 is a projected profit of $40,000 if everything goes perfect. The other 10% is, um, which a lot of new people forget about, is the carrying costs. The, you know, maybe if you're borrowing money, the interest rate, uh, maintenance while you hold that property. So 10% of that is $20,000. So that's a lot of money. Now, if you're borrowing hard money, and this is why I tell everyone, you know, that, that applies, uh, that 30% rule can apply differently for others. If you're borrowing hard money and you're paying, say, five points and 15% interest, 
well, more than likely, your carrying costs are going to be more than 10% if you, if you carry that property for more than 90 to 120 days. So it's just a rough gauge, and uh, it works well for us. Uh, but you got to use it with caution, and, and don't use it as an excuse to go buy a property just on that. Does that 70% rule apply at all price levels? Uh, you know, 50,000, for example, versus a million or two million or five million? That's a great question, uh, Josh, because. That's Brandon's question. I'm just, I'm just, you know, <laughs> voice, I'm voicing question, it. Brandon. But, <laughs> I'm, I'm a channel. Great question. Um, what, what, no, in my opinion, it shouldn't, but it really depends on the individual. And really, what that comes down to, let me give you an example. Like, uh, if you use that 70% rule on a $50,000 house, your projected profit is going to be $10,000 if you use the example that I just uh, mentioned with the 20%. So you have to determine what your minimum return on investment you want it to be. Uh, not on not your minimum return on your money because if you're all in it, if you're coming in on these deals with no money of your own, what's your, what's the, what's the how much money are you going to make? If 10000 is not enough, then that 70% rule is not going to work. So you might say, I want a, uh, a minimum profit of $20,000 on a property. So then you have to look at it differently. Uh, the same way that goes um, with, say, a $2 million property. Well, if 20% of $2 million is $400,000, uh, well, hey, if the numbers work and I can make $300,000 on this deal, I-, I would go after that $2 million property. Now we're looking at maybe a 15% um, of ARB as opposed to 20%. So you look at the dollar value when you have uh, the number skew high or if the number skewed low, and you have to determine how much money you actually want to make. So great. That's, a good, that's a good point. Well, it make, makes sense too with like the, the cheaper ones, like let's say 50,000. If yes. uh, you're going to only make 10,000, like this is something I found because I, I flipped a lot of lower end houses like that. Sure. That 10,000 can get eaten up like that. I mean, just gone in a heartbeat. Like, oh, the, the heating system is bad. Oh, there goes my profit. So, sure, sure. Yeah, that's terrible. All the more reason on the lower end because, yeah, you gotta, if you've got a heating system go bad and you have to replace the boiler, there goes 30% of your profits out the window right there. Yeah. yeah. So it seems, you know, ultimately then the risk level is, is certainly going to be higher on these lower end properties. And, and it, it, it appears that there's kind of a, a perfect range potentially somewhere in the middle there. Yes, I believe you. what you want to do is you want to find what your comfort zone is and what price point, especially in the beginning. I would never start off flipping a $2 million house. Um, I think what anybody starting out needs to understand is what am I going to be, what, what's comfortable for me? You know, and if you're going at using the 70% formula at a $50,000 house, you need to understand that if you get your cost of repairs wrong, you're not going to make any money at all. So, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, you mentioned using good agents wherever you work. You, you talked about, you know, always finding these quality brokers and, and guys who can help you out. Well, you, know, you know, a lot of real estate investors think they can work without agents. They think, hey, I'm going to save money. What do I need an agent for? You know, any, any feedback on that? Yeah, I think that's a big mistake. Um, I think relying on the experts, building your team is so crucial to you being successful. Um, for the mere fact, like I mentioned, the number one reason or the number one most important thing in, in determining uh, how you're going to make money is ARV. We never got to number two, which was the cost of repairs. But um, if you don't get that ARV, if you go on Zillow and you or any of those, no sites are great for doing research, but if you're relying on that to come up with your ARV and you base your offer on that, and they're rough twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Relying on the experts, and you do that through networking and, and creating relationships. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned real quick that we didn't we didn't really touch on cost of repairs very much. We talked about ARV a lot, so let's let's focus on uh, the cost of repairs. How do you determine how much something costs? Yes, um, in the beginning, if I, if I may share with you, I would I would have like a contractor party, and every time I went and looked at a property. You know, my plumber, electrician, carpenter, you know, wherever I could get in there to give me pricing because uh, I didn't have the experience in pricing things out um, um, accurately. And, and that gets old quick because, you know, in the beginning where you're trying to get deals, you're wearing these guys out and they're not going to take you very seriously. So all I can say is in the beginning, if you don't have the experience, try to create those relationships, explain to them, be honest up front, tell them what you're doing. And if they can have the patience to bear with you, they'll reap the benefits in the end. Uh, how we do it now is uh, basically I have a cost repair sheet that I walk into a property with, um, and it's just a checklist, so I don't, you know, forget anything. Uh, but in some cases, uh, at this point now, I'm able to walk into a property and evaluate it really without even writing anything down. I know it's, that sounds crazy, um, but the checklist will, you know, will be like starting with the exterior and working your way around, and then into the interior, which things to look for, you know, like. Look at the roof, but people might forget the chimney. Well, does the chimney need to be repointing? How does the flashing look? How do the shingles look? How does the fascia look? How does the um, uh, soffits look? And, and just really going through it step by step 
and and then looking at the cost of repair sheet, see what you have over there in your market, what some of those repairs cost. And, you know, again, if you're not experienced with this, I would always highly recommend maybe you, you uh, maybe you partner up with a general contractor or uh, have him walk a property with you and learn from him. If he's not willing to partner with you, offer him lunch or whatever it takes to, uh, to really get those numbers right. Because if you get those numbers wrong, you're, you're, you'll, you'll be out before you get started. Yeah, that's yeah, great. That's- that is definitely good feedback, and maybe even apprenticing under an experienced uh, rehabber like yourself. Uh, you know, give your time and energy in return for the ability to walk through and, and experience uh, the, the, the that stage of, of estimating. Right? I mean, I, I think that'd be a great way to go. Absolutely, I think that is. And anytime anybody has an opportunity to learn from someone else, and they can sort of shadow them, um, I would say go for it and, and learn as much as you can and ask lots of questions. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, my next door neighbor, I just found out a few uh, few weeks ago that he's a contractor. And so me and him have been talking a lot about that. And next time I got, you know, next time I find a deal, I want to walk through him with the, on the deal and have him kind of compare my thoughts versus his thoughts. Because, you know, I think I'm pretty good at estimating repair costs, but um, sure. I'm excited to see, you know, like exactly what he, you know, what the difference is. So um, anyway, yeah, those are good ideas. Absolutely, Brandon. That's great. And I tell you, you know, we, we learn every day in this business. I mean, you know, we get things wrong. I mean, we had a $1,700 allowance for some electrical work on a property that ended up going like $3,500. So that's, that's double what we had budgeted. Now, you know, we may have made up for some other things on, on the other end, but that's no excuse to, you know, what we look at that is, you know, we talk to our electrician and we, we really get a line item pricing for every single possible thing we can so that now when we go in, cause my company's growing and I have acquisitions managers now and, we want to make sure we don't, they don't make that mistake and, and that we can be you know, within 90% of what we're estimating when we're putting offers out there because we're not bringing contractors in now to make offers. So it's critical that we, uh, we get those numbers right. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I had a plumbing – the other day I had a pro- plumbing problem with one of my properties that I'm rehabbing right now. And I called a plumber and he bid I think $2,400 to fix it. And then I got yeah. another bid and it was $3,400 to fix it. And then my next door neighbor is doing the whole thing um, with his uh, plumber for twelve hundred bucks. So that's another thing too is the guy. It can differ dramatically between different Absolutely. people. Absolutely, and you bring up a good point. And 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 you got the best price in. I'm sure the work's going to get done correctly, but don't necessarily always go for the lowest price. Yep, that's true. Um, you really want to qualify your contractors, make sure they're licensed, make sure they have insurance, and check references, especially if it's somebody new. Because, yeah. um, I mean, we had almost four or $5,000 difference on plumbing quotes on one of our projects, and but you need to qualify that lowest bidder to make sure they're qualified to do the job. Yep. And, and even if you do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get somebody to do the right job because I had that with a concrete guy. <laughs> yep. And, you know, the guy had stellar references, stellar everything, did a horrifying job, didn't, <laughs> didn't want to stand by it, and it was a battle. And it was a battle, and, and, and so... You know, you you just don't know. Uh, you sometimes it's you, you know you, you run into bad luck, and it it's bound to happen. I can share one of those stories with you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll pick you pick pick your brain on that one later on. Okay. Um, well, well, you talked about um, your deals and uh, deal flow. Um, wh- why don't we talk about that a little bit quickly? Uh, how how are you guys going about finding uh, the properties and deals that that you're uh, working? Sure. Um, well, let me t- tell you a little bit how we started and, and where we're at now. I mean, in the beginning, um, multiple ways for me. It would be, uh, first of all, networking, going to the Real Estate Investment Association meetings, uh, also known as the REAs, uh, collecting business cards um, and, and reaching out and letting everyone know what I do. Um, so it could be um, realtors were always a good source for me, um, REO brokers, which are, are real estate um brokers that have uh, specific relationships with banks to get some of these foreclosures, uh, networking, 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 um, and other uh, other events. Now, you can also get deals from attorneys, mortgage brokers, uh, and so forth. One very important uh, way I was getting deals was through wholesalers. You guys, uh, you know, wholesalers talked a lot about on, on Bigger Pockets. Um, and wholesalers do things like hang bandit signs. They send out uh, letters uh, to pull on leads. <laughs> Boo, bandit signs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. We that's a, we could talk about that for about an hour. <laughs> Farming, um, all, all sorts of good things, and that's you know I didn't I didn't use some of those direct marketing techniques on on my own in the beginning. I didn't quite understand who wholesalers were, but now I do, and we do a lot of business with them. 
Uh, do you have any do you have any tips, I guess, for the wholesalers that are listening on how they can? I mean, like, how what do you look for in a good wholesaler, and what what kind of deals are they bringing you? Yeah, wholesalers. I mean, geez, that's another whole podcast, I think, um, <laughs> because I think there's a there's an illusion out there that wholesaling is easy and that um, anybody can do it, and it's a shortcut to rehabbing. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. Is there is no shortcuts to anything in life, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And if you, the way I tell talk to anybody that's thinking about getting into wholesaling, I tell them it's actually harder than flipping. Because you you got to market aggressively, you got to know how to talk to sellers, you got to be you, you got to be honest, and you got to be willing to help all parties, not not just yourself. Um, and wait, you said uh, something say, really quickly. You you said you have to be what? You you have to be honest. Is that what you, you said? Be, yeah. Can you imagine that? You wait, be, an honest, honest business. <laughs> holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I bring that up just because again, so many wholesalers you know, start out and literally the first thing they start doing is lying about deals that they have and all this BS. And it's like, you guys, that's, that's just not the way to start yeah. out. Josh, that, that's great. And I'll tell you, I, I, and I think some of that is, is bad training. I agree. Listening to, you know, um, I guess the gurus out there and, you know, yes. buying these programs. I just, they, I don't think they, some of them don't know better. I mean, and there's also the experienced wholesalers that do know better that you got to watch out for as well because yeah. then they're taking advantage of the new flippers and selling them stuff that aren't deals and so yeah you got you got to you got to be careful on, on on just like there's good flippers there's good good and bad wholesalers good and bad investors and so forth so that's a great point and that's why it's you know really important to know the numbers yourself and never to rely on a wholesaler yes. to tell you the numbers so it's absolutely really important. I know I've seen a lot of wholesale deals, you know, come across, you know, either bigger pockets or whatever that I just look at and I'm like, that's a terrible deal, like completely terrible. Yet they're telling everyone it's the best in the world. Well, and, and, you know, that's one of the, I, I hate to hype us. Well, I like hyping us, but I, I I'm not, the, the point of this isn't to do that, but I mean, we have, a, we have a, a section of, of bigger pockets on our forums where people can literally share a deal. So if a wholesaler brings you a deal, you can literally share the numbers and you'll have experienced guys just come in, you know, and they're going to say, "Oh, this is good. Watch out for this." You know, they'll ask you questions. I mean, that's it, a beautiful thing. So hopefully, people listening um, put some put that to use because it's a great resource. Yes, that that's a great point. And that's why anybody that I always say bigger pockets is great for that, and, and put whatever you can out there for questions, and you'll get some great answers. Now, just to, to back up on you asking me, how do I find deals? So, uh, relationship building has always been important to me. And just to fast forward to where we are now. Um, two of the wholesalers that I did business with through relationship building, through networking, um, one is now a full-time acquisitions manager for me. So he was a former wholesaler who had a dream of being a house flipper. Um, you know, we talked and I made, you know, told him my company was growing and, and you know, so we ended up joining forces with me and that, that's Bill Roberts and also John Pacetti, who was a great marketing guy. I mean, he's just a great wholesaler. Uh, is now come on board uh, more as a marketing director to continue to pull in leads on all those things that wholesalers do do that they'll be doing now will be doing in house now. So that's cool. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So so is that um, the bulk of your team? I know I know you've got uh, Ralph and now you got these two guys. Uh, what 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 other team members do you guys have on board? Yes, um, in house, like I mentioned, John Facetti just came on board. Bill Bill Roberts is with me three four months. Um, actually, my daughter is uh, fresh out of her first year in uh, college. Um, she's going to uh, design school in Boston, oh, nice. um, and she's working um, twenty hours a week with me as uh, temporarily until I can get a full time office manager. Cool. Um, and that's that's the real estate business. That's that's the real estate side of my business is where we we make our money. Um, and then you know the 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 house flipping school is something. Is um, just uh, just just sharing with individuals um, on our website how to uh, flip houses and and try to give back as much as we can. And that's where you know Ralph and Ryan, um, those guys were actually a marketing team that um, that came on board about a year ago. That's helped me with my uh, internet stuff and blogging and things like that, and getting me out there. So yeah, just just a great team of people I have. So, so let's talk about that for a second because I, I think that's an important thing. Brandon and I, we go back and forth a lot about, about uh, web marketing uh, for, for investors. And, and you know it's funny, every real estate agent has a blog. Every single one, they've all got it, they're all doing it, they kind of get it. Um, real estate investors, I think for the most part, don't necessarily fully grasp the power of, of blogging. And, and you're somebody who's successfully doing it you know you've got your own site and and we'll link to that in the show notes and you blog for us on bigger pockets 
And as a result, you're, 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 you're probably getting leads for your business. You're, you're building more relationships. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the blogging side of things and, and why do you think that's so effective and why people should or shouldn't do it? Sure, sure. I mean, this is all new to me for about, you know, a year ago is really when we started down this road. Um, and, but one thing I've always realized in business is that, you know, my attitude was always like, you know, unless you can do something great yourself, I believe you should uh, seek help uh, by seeking out the experts in the business. Now, Ralph and Ryan from Entire Enterprises, I met those guys through Business Networking International. That's another business group that I belong to where we meet weekly and we started meeting and we just, uh, you know, he was asking questions about how I promote my business and, you know, and things like that. And one thing led to another. And then I started doing some research. I'm like, wow, there's a lot to this stuff. And I just do not have the time to, to, uh, to do it effectively. So that's where, you know, creating your team, we talk about that a lot. And, you know, I know what some people might be saying if they listen to this, oh yeah, well that takes money and then it's expensive to hire these guys. Well, you know, you can make all the excuses in the world that you want, so you have a choice. Either you get really good at doing it yourself and stop watching TV and, and stay up late at night and figuring it out. Maybe you even consider bartering with someone. or Maybe you consider partnering with someone. How cool would that be? Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. So, so you've got, I mean, you've, you've composed this, this team together. And obviously, somebody starting out isn't going to have an acquisitions manager and a marketing team and, and all that. Uh, at, at what point does that start to come together? Well, at least for you, was it just when you had the cash, when you had the avail- availability to, to bring them in, you, you just you brought them in right away, or, or what was the plan? Yep. Um, well, it, it, like in anything, um, when it, you start off on a new business venture, I, I believe you need to create a plan, you know, a plan or a business plan. I, I know uh, many people don't do it. They get overwhelmed by it. You know, you could just have a one-page business plan. If you need something, you need to have a roadmap. Because business plans change. I mean, you go off track, you come on track. Um, but to answer your question, um, no, I mean, um, this this evolved to the point where last year, you know, I was averaging about nine to 12 properties and I had a decision to make. I either, I either wound it down because it was getting overwhelming, it was a lot, um, or, or, or we ramp it up. And I knew if I ramped it up, I needed I needed to add people to, to my business. Uh, so I made the decision to ramp it up. And we did, and um, and now we're going to be we're, we're at two properties per month now, and probably will be going to three or four over the next several months. That's really good to hear. I feel like I'm at that exact spot that you just said. Like I have a decision to make: do I ramp it up or do I take it down? Because I can't really sustain where I'm at right now. And uh, no, that's really good. I I, sure. I I like to. I need an acquisitions manager. That's what I need. <laughs> That would, that would we be can really talk nice. offline, offline anytime. <laughs> hey, there we go. Relationships, relationships. Yes, you yes. got it. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You mentioned a little bit ago about, you know, new investors, uh, you know, getting stuck. Maybe uh, I, I want to talk about that because I know that's a huge problem for a lot of people. Analysis paralysis and and not actually ever doing anything, just learning continually. And a lot of our listeners probably have been listening to the podcast from the beginning and have not done a deal yet. So uh, I guess what can you I guess, speak on that? Uh, you know, yeah, I think I think one of the biggest things is I think new People or reasons why they get stuck, I think they get overwhelmed. There's so many different ways to make money in real estate. And what I see just from early on going to the, you know, all these weekend courses, I mean, believe me, I spend my, my money on um, buying programs and going to all these events. And I think what ends up happening is uh, they get overwhelmed. There's, there's so many different things. They buy so many different uh, programs on either wholesaling or flipping, buying and holding, mobile home parks, storage facilities, notes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I think what they need to do is they need to find a niche, something in real estate that's going to drive their passion, something that they can get excited about. You know, if buying notes doesn't excite you, then don't go buy notes. You know, if wholesaling excites you because you like to talk to people and you want to try to help them out so they get out of a bad situation, and in the meantime, you make some money doing it, then do that. If buying a distressed, rundown piece of junk property inspires you to fix it up and improve that neighborhood, then go after that. So that's definitely one. The other big one is um, they have no plan. Um, and if you don't have a plan and you have no goals, you, you, you ain't going to go anywhere. You have nothing to measure your success by. So you need to create a plan. You need to write it down. And you need to start taking action. That's great. That's really good. That's yeah. You, and, and, you know, I want, I want to reiterate one of, one of your points. You, you mentioned uh, on, on the wholesalers helping people out. I, I, I uh, you know, I, I make it part of my, my personal mission with, with what I do with Bigger Pockets, the show, and everything else to kind of point out that. You know, real estate investors aren't just a bunch of scumbags. You know, we 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 are actually a group of people who are rehabilitating neighborhoods. You know, fixing things up. Um, you know, giving people a place to stay. Now there are bad people. You know, we yep. we know it. And unfortunately, though, that small percentage, I believe, gives a bad name for everybody. Um, but um, ultimately. You know, it's it's a it's a great thing that that it's a service. Uh, what what investors do? I mean, we we helped save the housing market, right? I mean, wh- where would we be right now without uh, investors? I agree. Unfortunately, I don't think the banks see it that way. I mean, they <laughs> seem to want to make things more and more difficult for us to acquire properties. Yeah, um, we that's another whole. <laughs> oh yeah, we got lots we of get them. into. So, but yeah, no, I, I agree, I, and I and I love what I do. And I feel we are, it's so gratifying when you're, when you're fixing a rundown property in a neighborhood. You know, people walk up to you and the neighbors walk up to you. We were just looking at a property in Plymouth, Mass. the other day, and the lady was coming over to us begging us to buy it. We, we located the owner. Uh, teenagers are hanging out there. Bad things are happening there. And it's like, well, we would love to be able to buy this property and, and make them even happier when we restore the property. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great thing we're doing. It is a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, well, let's let's talk about some of the, the the other challenges I know you mentioned uh, you know s- some complexities and and things that you've kind of been through um, what would you say uh, were your biggest challenges in, in building your business out to where it is today um, maybe some of the tough spots that you went through uh, anything that you know I, I, I like to say people really people tend to learn well from other people's mistakes and maybe you could kind of share some of those yeah, it's kind of like do as I say, not as I did type thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to, uh, if I can save anybody from losing money, I'll always uh, tell them what I did wrong and, and learn from it. I, I guess my one of my biggest challenges was um, 
you know, after 20 years of talking about doing this or, or longer, uh, maybe, yeah, about 20 years at the time, and then finally doing it and then losing money in your first deal, I got to tell you, it was like getting kicked in the stomach. Yeah. Um, uh, it was not a good feeling. I mean, I was, I was, I was down and out to be honest. Yeah. I was like, I just couldn't believe it happened. I'm like, and watching everybody making all sorts of money and finally doing it. So, you know, I had a choice either I, I, I don't do it anymore or, or, you know, or I make steps to learn from my mistakes and there were many. So yeah, that, that was a big challenge. But what I did was I spent the next two years educating myself, um, spending lots of money on education. And in the end I said, all right, what's my ROI on all this money, all the stuff I charged on my credit cards. And it was going out there and actually doing a deal is the only way I was going to get my money back. So finding that first deal, um, I mean, man, I fear losing money. I'm talking about a challenge. I mean, I lost money on my first deal. I, 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 my business was suffering because I was trying to build a real estate business while I was trying to run my flooring business. Um, those are some big challenges, but you, you got to keep moving forward. In my opinion, um, and, and that's what I did. If you can keep moving forward every day and making small changes, um, you know, sort of like taking, you know, three steps forward and maybe one or two steps back sometimes, as long as you keep going forward, it will happen. Uh, and finding deals in the beginning was a challenge. Getting money, right? I mean, let's face it, that, that's a challenge for everybody. Uh, and you got to learn to uh, uh, find deals. you got to learn how to get the money and, and, and overcome all those fears and, and move forward. Right on. Right on. That's yeah. awesome. Cool. Well, hey, um, I want to do something a little bit different on this podcast episode that we have not done yet. Uh, and I, I want to call it like um, the, the, the fire round. Fire round. Fire round. <laughs> all right. These are all questions that came from the Bigger Pockets forums. Uh, you know, these are all uh, short, direct questions that I just want to get your opinion on. So we're just going to fire this, through these. We got to. This, this could be, this could be hard, but I'll yeah. try. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just want to know your thoughts on this because. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah. There we go. So, all right. Uh, and me and Josh will kind of alternate on these. So uh, I'll start with asbestos. How do you deal with it? Hire an asbestos abatement company and don't touch it yourself. Nice. Yes, indeed. Appliances, high-end, low-end, used. Relevant on what you're selling the house for. On average, even our starter homes, we go with medium price appliances and we go with stainless steel. Uh, just uh, It's great look in the kitchen. It's worth the extra money to go with stainless steel over white or black. Cool. All right. So how do you decide how nice to make a flip? Uh, that is based on our ARV and knowing the neighborhood. Um, you never want to have your house to be the nicest house in the neighborhood. That means you probably spent too much money repairing it, and you certainly don't want it to be the uh, the less uh, attractive house in the neighborhood. So that's you know we look at that very carefully. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Do you offer incentives to your contractors? Ooh, I've <laughs> gone down <laughs> the contracting road so many different ways. Uh, all I'm going to say is sometimes yes and sometimes no. Okay, well, uh, that's good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, well, go you ahead. Could, you could. I, my, a suggestion would be, if depending on whether you're hiring a general contractor or if you're contracting it out yourself or if you're hiring a property manager, there's nothing wrong with incentives. And you know, if you were going to offer a, a a early incentive for getting done early, I think you should also have something that that you know, uh, like a um, a fee if they if they go over. Like Ooh. a performance bond almost. Yeah, so, that's what ways, I'm talking think, about. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We're working on some things like that too, so I can share more with you later. Cool. We'll, we'll see how much the contractors like that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a blog post down the line. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's say you're driving around, Mike, and you find a vacant, ugly-looking house. Uh, what do you do? Well, right now, I take a picture right down the address and I give it to my acquisitions manager. <laughs> nice. Okay. That, that's, <laughs> well, hold on. What, what would you have done <laughs> back in the day? Don't parse, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, back in the day, I would write that address down and I would, I would contact maybe a local relative in the area um, or a wholesaler and have them do some research to try to see if they could uh, uh, find out what's going on with that deal and uh, offer a fee if, uh, if it led to a sale. That's a good idea to off to call up a wholesaler and have them do the work for you. That's a great, great, great idea. And for the wholesaler, I mean, they get you know they get the opportunity, man. They get the training. That's that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, All right, cool. here's here's a good one. You ready? Yep. You ready? You yeah, ready? This was actually on the forums. <laughs> this is actually a question. I know. I remember I mean, reading that. Yeah. All right. Would you flip a house if a murder took place in it? My, my quick answer on that is is, is no. Oh, I agree. Want my reasons? Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, share some reasons. Uh, well, 
number one, I think it's kind of like bad karma knowing that. I don't know if I'd feel good about it. Um, number two would be the money end of it. Obviously, if you knew about it, you got to disclose it. Right. And um, I think I, I actually don't think you have to disclose it everywhere. I, I'm not certain I, of the laws, I, but I, I think. I, it could be from from state to state whether yeah. you have to disclose it or not. Um, I believe in this state you would have to, um, and it may be a time parameter around that, like how long it happened or, or how many o- change of ownership. If there was a change of ownership once or twice, I don't believe you would have to disclose something that happened like on former on a former ownership. But I don't know. Knowing that, I don't I don't think I would want to do it personally. Yeah, I think there's enough deals out there that you don't have to go after yep. the murder houses. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, how much do you stage? We are staging 100% of our homes right now, and we weren't doing that, uh, say, a year ago, but now we're, we're, we have a staging program in place where uh, staging offers many, many benefits, and I would highly recommend it to anyone selling a house. Yeah, that's you, just to remain competitive, I think. Yeah. Do you do beds and everything? No, we're not staging bedrooms. Um, we're, we're staging living rooms, dining rooms, kitchens, and accessorizing with uh, you know towels and shower curtains and sometimes pitches and things like that. Right on. Pictures of you? No, definitely not. <laughs> I would scale them away with this big Italian nose. My wife, my wife wouldn't allow it anyways. <laughs> nice. All right, so your next door neighbor to your flip has junk cars everywhere, all over the place, causing your house to not sell. What do you do? Well, my, my the first advice I would give is know this before you buy the house. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also bought houses. Uh, I guess I was blind to that. So uh, I think I might... Actually, my very first house we bought had a boat sinking in the front yard. So, I mean, you know, how come I didn't see that boat when we bought the house? Boat sinking in the front yard. <laughs> yeah, in the staging that was on the side of the house that probably was there since 1980 was probably a clue that the guy never finished the rehab. Nice. Well, uh, I would say, you know, in the event, though, you did buy it and didn't notice it, um, you, you definitely need to understand exit strategies in having a price reduction uh, strategy to, to move that house. And if not, like we talked about earlier, either lease optioning it out or renting it out uh, because that, that could happen. People don't want to buy houses that uh, their neighbors don't look very friendly on. Or you could hire one of those uh, tow companies on the TV shows <laughs> to come and steal the building. I, I think you've been spying them because we're looking at a house in Middleborough and the guy next door has a bunch of junk cars on it. So I, it's kind of scary that you guys put that question. <laughs> I once actually offered to, to pay for my neighbor. You know, when you buy a house, you don't realize, like when you buy the ugliest house on the, house on the street, and the one next door doesn't look so bad, but as soon as you clean up the house you're working on, all of a sudden yes. the one next door you realize. Anyway, I once offered to pay for a guy to um, like pay to clean up his yard and everything, and he shot me down. But I, I was going to say, how did that yeah, go? Right? He shot me, but he yeah. did go out and clean after that point. Like He, he realized it meant a lot to me. Nice. So, nice. Anyway, all right, so last question of the... Uh, Okay. Fire round. Yeah. Fire round. Fire round. Yes. <laughs> All right. What is your minimum profit that you personally aim for on a flip? A minimum profit that we aim for is around thirty-five thousand uh, dollars, Brandon, and that is a, a product of really the ARB. Most of our flips uh, aren't much lower than one seventy-five now, so twenty percent of that is around thirty-five thousand dollars, and um, and that's our minimum projection. So if we're getting into a, like a, say one hundred forty or one hundred fifty thousand dollar flip. We're not going to project thirty-five. We we won't we won't go for it. Okay, cool. Now, right. be- before we get to our uh, last final questions, I do have one more question for you. It, what is, I guess, uh, how is this market today looking competitively wise? I hear a lot of investors talking about having a hard time finding deals. I'm just wondering if you found that uh, true as well. Um, it's definitely it, well it depends on what they're doing to find deals. If you're relying on MLS, which a lot of them do. Very competitive. Things are being outpriced. And um, I would say, you know, don't break from your rules and, and stay true to your numbers. Otherwise, you might get burnt. Um, so that, in that sense, yes, it is definitely more competitive because it's definitely um, our seller's market now. It has heated up. We're selling properties our first day, second day on the market. Uh, but you got to find other ways to find deals and, and not just rely on MLS. Great. Great. All right. So now, officially, we can jump to the famous four. All right. <laughs> that sounds so pathetic. Yeah. Sure. It's a, now, before we start with the famous four, man, uh, you know, we're talking here. I got you. I got Mike LaCava. I got this guy from Massachusetts. So come on, man. You got to say it. Don't fat in the pack. Come on, let's hear it, baby. Oh, uh, yeah, what's that? I can't do it. Come on. <laughs> hey, there it is. There it is. Nice. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. All right, now that we've thoroughly embarrassed Brandon, uh, <laughs> thanks. Let, let's let's talk about your uh, your favorite real estate book. Uh, are there any favorites? Um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill was uh, is probably by far my favorite book of all time. I mean, it's just such a great book. It really got me thinking um, beyond more like what the secret book was all about. But it's it's about positive mindset. And, and reversing the negative thoughts in your brain and at making positive affirmations. Uh, just a great book. I've read it like three times, and um, I would recommend it to anybody if you're looking to uh, succeed and, and change your mindset and how to do it. Nice, cool. nice. I'm sitting here with, like, watching Brandon crack up over something. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. My, but, well, uh, <laughs> you were just mocking me earlier, not on the podcast, but being Mr. Negative today. So I just thought oh, that was gee, funny. Yeah. Great book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I may have to reread that one. You should read it, Brandon. There you go. Um, what what about hobbies? I'm sure uh, you you do stuff uh, outside of your real estate career. You got the family. What uh, what do you like to do for fun? You know, I, I I love my business so much. I mean, I consider this fun every day. I go to work. However, um, I I try to spend any time I can, as much time as I can, with my with my kids and my wife. And because uh, to me, success isn't just about how much money you're going to make. It's about enjoying it along the way. And uh, that that you know, golfing, mini golf on my kids. I love the golf person. I go golf once in a while with my buddies. Uh, but just hanging out by the pool and spending as much time with my my two girls is really everything to me in my in my in my life. Oh, uh, right on. That's awesome. You know, I didn't understand golfing before until I went with some real estate guys. Like uh, I don't know, a few oh. months ago, and now I get it why people golf because it was such a good networking thing. It was um, like I built such good relationships with a bunch of realtors around town and, and an investor. Just by golfing, it was awesome. So anyway. it is awesome. You tr- try doing some skins someday, and then uh, you know, put a little like a dollar a hole on the, on the <laughs> game. It's, it's really fun. I don't want to promote gambling or anything like that. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> I would and, lose that money very, uh, very quickly. And but. I, I believe golfing to not be awesome because you know, anytime I play, <laughs> a, a club goes flying. And if I'm doing it with this, somebody who that I'm seriously trying to you know, have a relationship with and business. Uh, it, it won't look good. It's a little embarrassing for Josh. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> All right, so last question of the day. Why do you believe some house flippers uh, succeed and others just come and go and fail or never get started? Well, I think, I think for any individual, whether it's house flipping or any business, really it comes down to a passion within you. Uh, if you have that passion and you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to make it work. Um, but I think what happens in this business is too many people get caught up in thinking this is like some get rich quick scheme, you know, hit the easy button. I'm going to make a million bucks in 90 days. And that's not the case. So what ends up happening, I think they may prematurely get into a deal, uh, and they may lose money on their first deal or a million things may go wrong and they get discouraged. Um, so I think first and foremost is you want to educate yourself, get on bigger pockets and ask questions. My goodness, I wish I knew bigger pockets 10 years ago because, or five, five years. I wish I knew it 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Because I would have had a lot of questions. You guys might've thrown me off the site because I probably would ask too many questions. Um, Never. There's no such thing as a stupid question, Mike. Create a plan. I mean, right. You create a plan, even if it's one page and and, and have some goals. If you you know, uh, what's the saying? Um, uh, a dream is just, uh, or, or goals. No, no go- goals with no actions are just dreams. You can dream about it, but if you don't, if you don't create goals, and you don't take actions to reach those goals. You ain't gonna get there. That's good. That's awesome. That's awesome, and quite quotable, Brandon. Yes, I may have to put that in the uh, tweetable topics on the show notes. Oh. Yes, yes, awesome. Well, listen, Mike. I, I got to tell you, man. Lots of fantastic information. We we definitely appreciate uh, you coming on the show and taking the time. Uh, thank you so much for participating uh, with us on on the site. Um, we'll we'll certainly be linking to your uh, uh, your profile in the show notes. Your your uh, your website is how what is it House Flipping School? Yes, houseflippingschool.com.com. Uh, so you guys could find uh, Mike over there. And uh, listen, thanks for being being here with us. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Brandon, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody. That was Mike LaCava here on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Hopefully, you guys got as much out of that interview as we did. It was uh, it was really chock filled of uh, lots of lots of tips, lots of actionable content. So uh, we definitely appreciate uh, Mike coming on board uh, again. Uh, as as we we told you in the beginning of the show, we've got lots of uh, great reviews and ratings. If you guys haven't yet taken the time to leave us one on iTunes, please do. 
otherwise, uh, make sure you're you're hanging out with us on bigger pockets. The more active you are, the more you're uh, out there, um, you know, engaging with other people. Uh, the better your opportunities for growth and and for networking and expansion of your knowledge and and your team are going to be. So definitely be out there and engage. If you're not following us on Facebook, follow us at facebook.com/slash/biggerpockets. Uh, find us on YouTube. We got some cool stuff, great videos that Brandon's been putting together. And uh, otherwise, come hang out and get back and listen to some of the other shows if you haven't done so already. Again, I'm Josh Dorkin. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. You're to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.